Animals. There can be no question that modern society values our furry friends. Dogs and cats dominate the internet scene. Is this just a feature of our modern, wealthy world? Or is there a past of putting extreme value on our four-legged companions? Find out today on Footnoting History. Welcome to Footnoting History. My name is Leslie Skousen, and today we're going to explore the ancient world and its relationship with animals. The types of records that survive from thousands of years ago only focus on the most important aspects of life. We're talking about taxes, trade, government documents, and burials. Surviving evidence of a valued animal suggests a wider spread phenomenon that rivals our own. In an era when less helps us appreciate more, we can measure the value of animals through their persistent presence in these rare surviving documents. For example, in the infamous tale of the Odyssey, only one character is overjoyed to see Odysseus return after his decades-long absence. No one recognizes him at court, except for one creature. Argos, a faithful greyhound, comes bounding up to him with all the enthusiasm a dog can muster. How remarkable that Homer sought fit to include the touching scene of a man reunited with his impossibly 20-plus-year-old dog. Our love for animals is not new. In fact, I would argue that our overwhelming modern love for animals pales in comparison to the past, when animal-based labor had the power to move empires, the value of an intelligent, loyal animal was great indeed. Case in point, the great horse Bucephalus and his master Alexander the Great. The Macedonian leader Alexander built an enormous empire before dying, possibly of gangrene, near his 33rd or 34th birthday. Much has been written about the impossible gains of this plucky young man as he chased his enemies across the landscape and built an enormous empire in his wake. He was supported by a commanding and large horse with an enormous head, great power, dark black coat, and a white star above his eye. If Plutarch is to be believed, Alexander won his horse at the age of 13 by challenging his father that he could tame the most unruly animal. His father idly accepted the bet, but Alexander prevailed. Bucephalus melted to his touch and the two became an inseparable team. As Alexander began his career inheriting his father's throne and dominating the ancient Mediterranean and beyond, Bucephalus was there with him along the way. They fought battles together and his magnificent horse appeared to betray all odds, jumping to avoid incoming weapons and putting his master wherever he needed to be. Alexander viewed him as an extension of himself. Filled with gratitude, he spread the stories of his horse's bravery far and wide. The Alexander Mosaic portrays the two together. Statues of Alexander include him atop his favorite horse. Alexander named towns after his great horse. Conquered areas bowed down before him, and he left villages and towns with the new name Bucephalus in his wake. From Egypt to Pakistan, towns with this name or some version of it, including cities named Phalia, short for Bucephalus, dot the landscape. Much could be made of the aftermath of Alexander's death when honoring the late general and king would include changing a city's name. However, knowing how much my animals mean to me, I love the idea of Alexander himself honoring his trusty steed by leaving his name throughout the growing empire. Reportedly, Bucephalus fell in battle. In 326 BCE in the Pujambi region of India, Bucephalus gave his life for a Greek victory. A state funeral followed. Two towns in the area claimed to be the one spot where Bucephalus was buried and revered by the entire Greek army. 
coins were struck in the horse's honor, and the entire world never forgot Alexander's beloved horse. Our love for domesticated animals cannot be denied. Ancient Egypt demonstrated their value by mummifying pets alongside the humans. In an age when an animal could literally be life-saving through its labor, its eggs, its milk, its companionship, it is really no surprise to see references to much-loved animals dotting the ancient landscape. One such companion fell in the streets of Odessa. During the Roman-era occupation of Greece, roads were built stronger and travel became easier. This was an ideal development that enabled the Roman world to transport people and goods as fast as messages. However, it created a fair amount of danger as well. People were trapped beneath speeding horses. Carts ran over children who were unable to get out of the way. We know this from reading the funerary images, inscriptions, and monuments. One poor man lost his animal companion in this way. Sometime in the 2nd or 3rd century, a man built a funerary stella for his cherished companion, a pig. In his grief, he paid an artisan to produce an image to honor the pet he loved so much. It includes a portrayal of the accident that took his pig away from him, a dramatic scene with a man speeding with either four horses or a single horse portrayed in jagged movements to tell the story. The pig is run over, both by horse and cart, and left first injured, then dying, then dead. Beneath the striking stone rendering, the man also posted a poem. Its beauty reminds us of an animal we have all loved and lost. A pig, friend to everybody, a four-footed youngster, here I lie, having left behind the land of Demaltia, and all the earth I crossed on foot alone unscathed. But by the force of a wheel, I have now lost my light. Here I lie, owing nothing to death. There are so many ways to interpret this poem, from the economic loss of a pig dealer to the personal grief of losing a member of the family. The reason this epitaph must be taken seriously is because it does not stand alone. Similar funerary inscriptions and monuments hold a testament to the love and companionship offered by many animals, including dolphins, rabbits, birds, horses, and, of course, dogs. From Mesopotamia to Egypt, Rome to India, ancient portrayals of dog burials can be found with ease. Egyptian dog burials were enormously ceremonial, with dogs buried with all the things they could use and enjoy on their passage to the field of reeds. The idea of a dog graduating to a large field where they could play with other dogs and run as far and as fast as they wish warms my heart. Socrates honored dogs as the true philosophers. Romans featured dogs in mosaics, marble, and paintings. Dogs were an indispensable part of pre-modern life. And yet dogs, pigs, and horses were not the only ones who deserved honor and authority. You may have heard the tale of Incitatus, Caligula's infamous horse, who served him so well that Caligula infamously named him a general. There are no reliable sources conveying this story, but it just feels so believable. After all, Alexander named multiple parts of the world after his own horse Bucephalus, and Caligula was not always reputed to have the most reasonable decisions. True or not, it supports this larger idea of our animals holding supremely important roles in our lives. And a horse rewarded for battle just makes sense. But what about a battle fawn? Plutarch brings us a wonderful story about the Roman general Sertorius. In the year 77 BCE, Sertorius led Roman troops through the conquest of Spain. 
The process was terrifying to local people. During this period, a hunter named Spanis managed to capture a pure white fawn. Struck by its glimmering color and beauty, he decided to offer it to Sertorius, who had a reputation for appreciating unusual game. Sertorius also had the reputation for being cruel. He was known as the Roman Hannibal. Yet he took to the fawn and tamed it. The white deer began to follow him around camp. It obeyed his commands. The pair shared a very close bond. Sertorius told others that the fawn had come from the goddess Diana herself. She was the goddess of the hunt. He claimed that the fawn told him how to lead in battle, and the fawn was responsible for his victories. This was done through a variety of means. Sometimes the fawn would come to him and whisper to him. Sometimes he would dream about the imminent threats with the doe sleeping next to him. He used these messages and dreams to anticipate enemy moves. Likely he was just a brilliant tactician, but the power of the goddess strengthened his army's resolve. They went more bravely into battle when the deer channeled Diana and gave Sertorius the best information. At one point, when a messenger brought news of victory, he supposedly hushed the messenger and dressed the doe in garlands. When the doe walked among the troops, Sertorius was able to call out victory as though the animal had intuitively known and delivered the message herself. This man loved his deer. Together, the fawn and Sertorius began working across Spain, and the people followed him wherever he went. Like the Mandate of Heaven or the Imperial Cult, the power of Diana's fawn handed Sertorius a religious authority that inspired all who followed him. Sertorius was a foreigner. The power of the fawn gave him godly power and a strong, loyal reputation. Now for a little context. There was a civil war going on in Rome during this time. The conquest was not like that of Julius Caesar in Gaul or Britannia. Rather, Sertorius in Spain was trying to create a Rome within Hispania. He had to lead the local people in revolt. This was where the fawn became so very valuable. Rome's Diana fit very well with local pagan traditions, and since this deer was a local animal, Sertorius was able to use it to tap into those local beliefs and superstitions. Sertorius crafted an elaborate performance to gain their support. He decided to hide the doe for a few days. His followers began to worry. The fawn had brought them messages from the gods, and then Sertorius came out of his tent to make an announcement. He said that he had a beautiful dream of victory. Just as his announcement concluded, the deer came running to him and greeted him. She licked his hand and he pet her head. The crowd roared with approval. They prepared to wage battle against Pompey. Invigorated by the good news of the fawn's return and Diana's support, they overcame the superior enemy and emerged victorious. Our animals fill us with life and love and hope. They inspire us to be better, not just today, but throughout history. No wonder we adorn them with outfits and nicknames and extensive backstories. And we are not alone. Humanity has a deep, long-lasting connection with our furry companions that has enabled us to rise victorious over whatever challenges we face. So I encourage you to name a town after your dog, charge a tax for looking at your cute cat. It isn't reflective of a narcissistic social media culture. It's part of our long-lasting global legacy, humans and animals doting on each other. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. 
You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>